Howdy. I'm Kate Cavanaugh, and you're listening to The Groundwork Podcast. This begins an exploration of connectedness, looking at our own nature through the lens of nature. Mind, body, and soil. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Groundwork Podcast. I am your host, Kate Cavanaugh, and it is such a pleasure to be here with you today. I love producing this podcast, and it has just really struck me how much my heart feels called to this work. Whether you are listening or we have a new option here at Groundwork watching on YouTube, put a link in the show notes for that, this podcast. I am just so happy that you're here. It's a beautiful day right towards the end of June, and today is actually the day that we are putting up about 800 bales of hay. And so after I record this intro, I'm going to go throw some hay around, which is always a really perfect spot in summer where I really begin to think about what it means to preserve sunshine. And I think that's actually a beautiful segue into this podcast today. I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. I think that we are all adults on this that are listening to this podcast and participating in in this journey together. And I do just want to give the disclaimer that, of course, in this podcast, nothing is medical advice. You should definitely consult with your doctor. We have a big old fat disclaimer at the bottom of our show notes. And what I am committed to here is bringing you things that I am curious about. And bringing you things that I am practicing in my own life or beginning to practice in my own life and bringing you a wide variety of different views from a lot of different people across a spectrum of of experiences. And this podcast, I think, is incredibly important. The guest that I have on today, whose name is Sarah Kleiner, and you may know her as Carnivore Yogi on YouTube and Instagram, her and I had just the most beautiful conversation, and I was really happy with the way that it unfolded. Before I began this podcast, I was walking with my husband and I had done my due diligence. I've been on Sarah's podcast and I was excited to have her on, been doing due diligence. I was really interested to talk about her daughter. And I asked my husband if he thought it was okay to ask about about her daughter who's on the autism spectrum and has just a really beautiful gift for the way that she sees the world and the way that she writes in her Instagram posts. But I wasn't sure if it was, if it was what Sarah wanted to talk about. And the first place that she went within the context of the podcast was straight to talking about her beautiful daughter, Alexis. And so clearly there was some felt sense that, that that was what wanted to come through today. And We talk about Sarah's journey with Alexis and then with her now pregnancy 14 years later. And the first thing I want to say is that in the context of this episode, we talk about a vaccine injury that Alexis sustained as a young child. And I know that this topic can feel controversial to many. 
And you are, of course, always welcome to your feelings. But I want to remind everyone before they dive into this and to just kind of give this disclaimer that in the space that I'm coming from, there is nothing more beautiful than the connection, the intuition, the relationship that a mother has to her child. And I think that these stories that we tell are really important. And while I didn't know that this was the story I was going to be telling today, I'm so happy that this is the story of Sarah's that we are telling about her journey with Alexis. And so I just wanted to let you all know that. And then we dive into pregnancy. And I want to say this, you know, Josh and I are talking about whether or not we want to have kids. And as we're talking about that, I'm also thinking about what I would want to do to prepare my body for pregnancy if indeed we do decide to have children. And so I think that this is a really beautiful episode for those that are really thinking about what their journey might be in terms of preparing for pregnancy and preconception and for nutrition within pregnancy. And again, there's that disclaimer, but I think that it's really time to rethink nutrition during pregnancy. I think so often we tell women to avoid some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet in favor of prenatal vitamins that exist outside of the whole food matrix and a bunch of processed foods. And while it's not the recommended medical advice at this time, I think that it is a really beautiful gift that people like Sarah are leading a new frontier, and I mean this, a new frontier and pioneering a different and far more nourished way of being pregnant. And I am so grateful for her contribution to this space and just really excited for you to hear what this pregnancy journey at 43 following a a long and a hard journey with infertility and what finally brought this this baby to Sarah and at the same time getting to experience how motherhood changed her health to begin with with her daughter Alexis and it was just such a beautiful thing to be able to have this conversation with Sarah and to be a space where we could talk about it in detail. And so this is this is why I'm here. This is what I want to do. I want to explore people's personal journeys and I want to explore my own curiosity about things that are burning a hole in my pocket. And I want to be honest and forthright and I don't want to hold anything back in any way for any reason. And so Nothing is held back in this episode, and it is a beautiful story. I can't wait for you to hear it. If something in this story resonated with you, I encourage you to share it with a friend, with a family member, share it on social media, leave a review, and it's just such a pleasure to be here with you today and to get to share the beautiful Sarah Kleiner's journey. And so without further ado, I give you Sarah Kleiner, often known as Carnivore Yogi. 
Well, Sarah, it is just so great to have you here. And I know we were just talking. I'm, I'm so grateful for having been on your podcast. And I, I really got to connect with you and made me really curious about a lot of your practices. And I just want to, I just want to dig right in. One of the things as I've been kind of going through all of your abundance of materials is I'm just really struck by. I love people that have been on an evolution of their health journey where they've explored a lot of things and done this sort of in of one experimentation and not been afraid to keep evolving as it were. And so as I sort of listened to you and your journey from a more standard diet and into vegetarianism and veganism, and then into carnivore, and then into this whole circadian and circannual seasonal and ancestral eating, I was just really struck by that evolution process. And I was curious if you could just share a little bit about how you got to where you are today through that evolution. Yeah. I mean... I talk about it with my husband all the time of our daughter is just the one I feel like was sent here to basically like shift everything for both of us, like as people, as I mean, fundamentally shake the core of who we are and then cause us to both like seek out different things that are different from the mainstream and to start to question the mainstream. And so my story, I feel like really starts of having her as my child and, you know, everything going well up until her, you know, about 13 months, she received a flu vaccine and going to the emergency room that night and being told, you know, cause she was throwing up and screaming and they were like, you know, take her to the ER, something's wrong. And so, and, and being told like, oh, she's had a reaction to this, this flu shot but she'll be fine. And she never was. And she had like disappeared, lost all of her speech, eye contact, everything was gone. And that was like, just a moment where I feel like the rug got pulled out from under us. And we were just like, wait a second, because everyone's like, these, this is safe. This is fine. You know, there's, and then the further I dug into it, I was like, I found that there were all of these lawsuits. You know, I found that there were all of these parents who had children that were injured, but it's not something that you talk about because people, it's a very polarizing subject and people are very quick to dismiss you, call you a witch, call you a liar, say that's not it, that wasn't it. But when you actually go to a hospital and you are told by medical professionals that that is exactly what has happened is a reaction. And then from that reaction, she loses the ability to speak and have eye contact. You can't go back to thinking the same way that you thought before that. And so, you know, it was like that happened. And like I said, it kind of pulled the rug out from both of us. And we were just like all the... Yeah, it was it was horrifying. And, you know, we're st- we still deal with that 14 years later. You know, we still have a child that will live with us forever, more than likely. I don't ever see her really being independent. As brilliant and as wonderful and as amazing as she is, and she's like literally the light of my life and everything, my everything for real. It is she is like the pivot of my life. Like I I she's the center of my life too. Yeah, still. and I've I've seen her, be. I've seen her beautiful Instagram posts and, and the beautiful words that she writes and just this light. And I've heard the way that you talk about her and just her beautiful sensitivity to the world. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, the way she sees the world is just beautiful and amazing. And, you know, I, I value so much of the perspective that she gives from herself, you know, because now she she still doesn't speak, but she spells to communicate. And the things that she says are just profound and beautiful and amazing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I never looked at the world that way. And so I'm always going back to a place of gratitude. I went through a lot of years of anger and sadness and bitterness and that didn't really do much for anyone. You know, it's like a poison that you continue to drink, hoping that someone else will die and it's just killing you. And so I've had to really do a lot of work to move past that myself, you know, but and now I try to look at her from the lens of gratitude and I don't compare our lives to other people's lives because it's not, it's not, it's not anyone else's life, you know? And I don't think I've really ever talked about this on a podcast before because it is one of those polarizing topics, especially in the climate that we're in now. Um, one of those taboo topics you don't talk about, and which yeah, is a but, shame. I know. I'm at I a mean, point. it's a shame that yeah. we that we can't yeah. share our stories in an honest way that's truthful to ourselves, that's maybe helpful to others, and that is just exactly. honest and just our experience as right. as humans, as women, and certainly as a mother. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, there's so many families that are affected the same way that mine are that I've met over the, over the last 14 years, I've met so many families that are profoundly affected the way that we are. And it's, it's a tough journey, but you know, that's what sent me down the path of, okay, well, I have to be able to do something with nutrition to help her. Like, what can I do to help her? That was my first thing of like, I have this you know, little baby that I have, I have to help her, you know, she wasn't like this before. So how could I make, you know, how can I reverse this? That was like my quest and my journey for years. And we, you know, traveled all over the U S seeing different doctors spending, you know, we're still in our starter home. We are moving out this month, next month, we're moving out to, to a bigger house finally, but we've been in our starter home for 14 years because we have put all of our money towards how can we help Alexis, you know, how can we support her? Um, so that's where my evolution with nutrition came to. And I first was, you know, when you do the research, you are really led to believe that a plant-based diet is going to be the healthiest thing for you, for your child. Alexis was never big into the plants though. And so luckily I discovered for her the specific carbohydrate diet and I made her, and she has the most beautiful jaw, like her teeth are beautiful. She's never had braces because I started giving her grass fed beef burgers. And that's like all, that's the only thing she would eat. Like a lot of kids with autism, they become very like picky about what they're going to eat. And so she was really just eating like a lot of grass fed beef. Um, I would put garlic in it. I would try to put some things in it to like give her a little more variety, but that's really like the only things that she wanted to eat for several years. And so if you're going to be picky, I mean, you're talking about a lot of nutrient density in that space, right? even, you know, in a, in a a pretty mono diet that could be a lot worse. Yep. Exactly. So at the time I was frustrated because I was transitioning to a plant-based diet and I was trying to get my husband to transition and I was putting everything in the blender and making the smoothies. And I was trying to every little way to trick her into plant-based, but she was just like, no. And I was like, well, she has to have something to eat. So I would go, you know, source out the best grass fed beef that I could find 
and make these burgers for her. <laughs> That's what she ate. And uh, it did actually help quite a bit. I mean, I took her off of gluten and I did take her off of conventional dairy. I did take her off of, you know, everything that I could research and find that could cause any sort of behavior issue, anything with her brain that was not supportive. So she was the catalyst for that. But me, myself, I was still kind of in this mentality that plant-based was best, that eventually. And then the whole thing with her, emotionally, what I did to help myself cope was I found yoga and was obsessed with yoga, was going to class like, you know, as often as I could, seven days a week, had to quit my job because taking care of her was so intensive. We were trying to do as many therapies as possible to just find something that could help her, you know, just unlock her. We were trying everything. And so me working a full-time outside sales job was no longer viable. And so I was home with her full-time. I was going crazy because I've never been the stay-at-home mom type, you know, it's just not been something that I ever aspired to do. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I'm okay with that. But Yeah, I I was kind of just losing my mind. And so yoga helped me and I dove deeply into yoga, decided to become certified, become a teacher. That led me into veganism. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for me with with my own health. Because (laughs) I resonate with that. At first it was like, cool, I'm losing all this weight. Like I've all, you know, I've always kind of struggled with my weight my whole life. And then it was like, okay, I'm vegan now and I can't keep weight on. This is awesome. And at first, you know, for the first six months or so, that was really cool. But then after the first six months, it started to not be so cool. I started having dental problems as a yoga teacher. You know, I struggle with chronic injuries all the time. My, I couldn't build muscle and it was just a disaster. And so you know, it was finally one of my yoga teachers took me aside and was like, look, I see what you're trying to do here. Um, I know that ahimsa is something that is important to you. It's one of the yoga precepts, moral precepts, really, of yoga. He's like, but let me break ahimsa down a little bit more to you. That ahimsa really means non-harming to yourself first. And if you are not giving yourself the proper nutrition, which it looks to me as though you need animal foods, to give yourself the proper nutrition and sustenance. But if you're not giving those things to yourself, then that is actually violence towards yourself. And there is a way that you can eat these animal foods. You can work with a local farmer. You can do this in a sustainable way so that it is more health promoting for you and cause less harm. And he, I was so glad, I was like relieved because I had been just struggling as a vegan, like, Okay, I I'm tr- I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to soak everything. I'm tr- I have a purse full of supplements that I'm taking 30 times a day and like chasing down nutrients, but my joints are killing me. I can't keep weight on. I'm my teeth are a mess. I've never had cavities, but now I'm getting all these cavities and something's not right. And I knew that. And so when he said that to me, I felt this great sense of like relief. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't have to keep yeah. up this facade, if I want to be like a legitimate yoga teacher, which I really was wanting to do that and wanting to help people with yoga at the time. And so that was help, very helpful that's for incredible. me. And I did. That's, I, what a beautiful thing yeah. to say too, that that's nonviolence towards yourself. And, and, and I see, I see in that story that you were already practicing that, that you came to yoga to find some balance in your life and then to 
you want to keep that balance going. And so what a gift to have, to have someone say that, what, what beautiful words. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it helped tremendously, you know, so I did start eating some meat and I did start feeling better immediately. The issues with my teeth, the injuries, all that stuff really went away. The problem is that I was still following a lot of the mainstream, you know, like God love him. Dr. Hyman says, <laughs> you know, eat a plate full of plants and meat as a yeah, condiment. Follow Dr. You know? Hyman so for that's, a long time. Yeah, I was a huge fan. Um, <laughs> but then you kind of see like the holes in the story there um, when you try to apply that to your own health. And so... I, you know, it was years that I was trying to still implement a ton of plants into my diet. Eventually, probably four years or so later, all of the kind of joint pain and, you know, I I started, I developed IBS. I was, my husband was very seriously worried about me because I would look six months pregnant after eating. I had to sleep on the couch a lot of nights because the gas was so terrible that I would get from eating all these plants that I thought were healthy. You know, I saw several GI doctors and they were just basically like, you know, try activated charcoal and eating more fiber and there's not really much we can do for you. And of course you're eating a ton of fiber. I, I, and I, I was, yeah, I was eating like mostly yeah. fiber. And I, I have that <laughs> you know? same thing. I have pictures of myself and I look six months pregnant and I'm eating this healthy, the super healthy, mostly plant-based yep. diet, and it just wasn't working. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I, I was at this point where I was also in my late 30s, and I was just like, okay, is this just part of aging? Like, what the heck is this? And I connected with my friend. Her name's Dr. Rimka. She lives down the street from me, actually, and so I've known her for many years, and I no, she's a function. I knew she's a functional medicine practitioner. And I was like, you know, what do I need to do? Can I get a bunch of labs done? She looked at some of my labs. She was like, your labs are not that bad. This is what I'm going to recommend for you instead of bringing you into my clinic as a patient and making you run a bunch of labs and spending a ton of money. I'm just going to recommend you try the carnivore diet. I've been doing it for five months. I feel great. I've been recommending it to a lot of patients and it has cleared up a lot of stuff that people want to go and spend a ton of money getting evaluated. And I was like, you are insane. (laughs) Just eating meat? Like what? And so that was my initial reaction was like, she's crazy. And then I kind of sat on it for a little bit and started doing a little bit of my own research, found Dr. Baker, found Michaela Peterson, found Jordan Peterson, found, you know, found all that stuff and was like, well, what have I ha- what do I have to lose at this point? Because I am miserable. I can't even practice yoga anymore the way that I want to because my joints are a mess. Everything hurts. It's very sensitive. So literally, what do I have to lose at this point? And um, so I just dove in, just did it beginning of 2019. And literally within two weeks, my stomach was flat. Gas was gone joint pain gone. Like everything that I was just having all these complaints about was just gone. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) like this is completely insane. So I started my Instagram page as a complete joke. Like the name carnivore yogi was a joke because I'm like this yoga teacher running around town everywhere teaching classes, you know, but I'm only eating meat. And I thought like, how ironic and weird is that? 
because all my yoga friends are vegan, vegetarian, and not to mention all the anxiety, depression, and health issues that they're all having. You know, let's not even get into that. But now I'm feeling like a million bucks because I'm just eating meat. And yeah, so I started this page as a joke and then it kind of just turned into to people following Clearly it me. Resonated. They were like, and I think, you know, I spent, it did. Uh, yeah. when we lived in a city, I did yoga six days a week. I was a yoga teacher and I owned a butcher shop and was sort of alone in that world as a meat eater and finding that it really was helpful for my practice, for my body, for my resiliency, yes. for my mental health and for all of those yes. things. But I think it's a gift in many ways that you get to straddle both worlds and, and that it doesn't have to be yoga doesn't have to be this one thing or being carnivore doesn't right. have to be this one thing that you can be fluid and dynamic within both of those spaces. And I think that resonates with people. I think people want that option. I agree. I think they really do of like, let's look at the, an alternative perspective here. And so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think it's clear just from how much your your channel has grown and how many people look to you that there's a lot of resonance in being both a meat eater and, you know, having your yoga and eating your meat too. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, but that's the basic gist of kind of how I got <laughs> into everything that I've been doing. Yeah, and one of one of my curiosities and one of the things I I love that you've been exploring lately is this sort of expansion beyond the carnivore diet and into a more ancestral living and quantum health space where you've you've made another another jump into a different yeah. lifestyle. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that space from carnivore to this quantum health space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, at the end of 2020, we kind of decided, you know, we had always wanted a second child and we were, but it's just been one of those things that it's like, Alexis is, takes up everything, you know, she, she really does require a ton of our energy, require a ton of our attention. And so we just kept putting it off and putting it off. And we we're like, well, maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. And then we got to the end of 2020, 2020, I think for a lot of people was a year where they did a lot of reevaluating. I I and that was, yeah, I mean, we, that was true for us. We reevaluated everything of just like, how necessary is this? Let's cut this out. Let's, you know, and the, the topic of another child was just something that both of us were like, okay, let's just start, you know? And I thought that all the nutrition and everything that I was doing would allow pregnancy to be an easy thing for me. Um, it ended up not being that way. It ended up being very <laughs> painful, process for me with a lot of bumps along the road. And when just the nutrition piece wasn't working for me and I was consulting doctors and I was consulting different professionals, I found uh, Dr. Jack Cruz. He actually came on my show. I listened show. to that episode. It's a, it's a great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes because w just talking with Dr. Cruz, and it's funny, you can see that episode. I'm in this dark office. The window is not open now. Like anytime I'm recording, the window is open. I've got special software on my computer. Like I, it's that conversation was pivotal for me. 
just meeting him and then understanding how much of my health was tied to my light environment. And that was something all these doctors, I was paying all this money, professionals never even mentioned to me how my hormones were actually influenced by light. And so that caused me to just open up a big, jump down a big rabbit hole of understanding circadian biology, understanding quantum physics, and diving deeply into those topics and implementing them into my own life. I've connected with some truly amazing people that I'm really good friends with now and done a few certification courses at this point now, which is, you know, kind of what I teach more now. But, you know, understanding food on this circannual rhythm that we are meant to be more carnivore in the wintertime when there's scarcity, when there's not, you know, those foods are not available. You can be carnivore year round if you want to. And I would recommend it if you do have a, a chronic health issue that you're dealing with. I think it could be tremendous for you. But during summertime, we do have produce. We do have things that are locally grown that contain the light code of where you live. And and food is information, oh. right? Food is light. Food is – And yes, so, I, I love that yeah. because I think food is the ultimate. It's a conversation that we're having with ourselves, with our biology yes. about where we are in place and time. And I think that what you right. just said, and I, I haven't heard it put quite that way, that there's a light code in this food. Yes. And uh, can you yeah. unpack that a little bit more? Well, I mean, if you just think about it in, in plain terms, you know, we're meant to live with the sun, right? We're meant to wake up and our hormone production starts with the sun, with the sunrise. We turn off melatonin and gradual rise of cortisol. And then the UVA light starts and we hit, you know, get the hormones that synthesize melatonin for that night. We get uh, serotonin, tryptophan, dopamine, tyrosine. We get all these amazing hormones and pregnenolone, our master sex hormone, all that is produced from a signal from the light. Our food is grown in that same light and our food is receiving that light code, right? Absolutely. So if we're eating something out of a box or a can or something flown in from Mexico, then same thing as like looking at your phone in the middle of the night, you know, you're telling your phone, you're telling your body it's noon. If you're, if you're in the middle of like December and you're eating uh, pineapple, you're telling your body it's the middle of summer. Yes. And so, and, and that you're yeah, in Mexico, you're in, you're in Mexico in the middle <laughs> of the summer, right. And you're actually freezing cold in December and it's dark outside and cloudy, but your body is getting a different signal, right? So, I mean, it's, it all really ties in when you think about it. It's all very common sense, but it's not a conversation that's being had. The conversation is keto, carnivore, vegan, plant-based, this, that. And it's all like so myopic in my opinion at this point, because we're missing the point. We're missing the point that this food is giving our body information. And if we're constantly confusing our body and telling our body, hey, it's noon when it's actually midnight. Hey, it's uh, June and you're in Mexico when you're actually, you know, in Canada and it's December, then you're going to have dysfunction, yes. right? You're, you are going to have dysfunction in your body and this will eventually create disease. And there's definitely something to be said for 
not eating processed foods and not eating a bunch of junk food and sticking to, you know, more keto carnivore diet, absolutely very helpful, a good place for people to start. But I think we have to look deeper than that if we really want long-term sustainable health and not just a diet, you know, not just a quick fix, not just a diet. I think we need to look deeper. And that's kind of, you know, where I've gotten to in my own health journey and getting pregnant was me exposing my body to cold when it was cold outside, understanding red light, using red light therapy, being into like getting up for sunrise every single day, using blue blockers at night, uh, protecting my body from, from non-native EMF, all these things, you know, that were confusing the hell out of my body and causing hormonal disruption. And I'm wondering why I'm having such a hard time with pregnancy And yes, I'm in my 40s, so it is a lot harder for women in their 40s. But as I dove into this world, this completely heartbreaking world of fertility and conception, what I learned was that it wasn't just women in their 40s. It was women in their 30s and women in their 20s. I think- that are unable to conceive. I think statistically, and it's worse and worse. Statistically, we're looking at one in three women has troubles conceiving at this point in time, and those numbers are rising yeah. every year. And we're also seeing a precipitous decline in fertility in men as well, with sperm yes. counts declining at one percent every year since I think 1960. And yeah, this is this is a problem. These are bodies communicating on a collective level that we are in a state of dis-ease, right? That we are, yes. we are not at ease. And I think that what's so beautiful at your, about your journey is that there's this nugget in there that our bodies are most at ease when they're in harmony with their environment, when they're getting those signals that I am in this season, in this place, in this latitude, and I am home, and they don't have those mixed messages from everything from junk light to a pineapple in December. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, and like I said, it goes beyond diet. It's literally your lifestyle as a whole. And all of these things are creating an incredible amount of dysfunction in our society as a whole. And I think that people are looking at diet and then they stop there. And, you know, with my own health journey, I came to this point where I was like, I'm going to have to number one, go beyond diet. And at the same time, I had clients coming to me out of the woodwork, people coming to me out of the woodwork that were doing carnivore or were doing keto and they were still struggling with extra weight, depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, all of these things. And I was like, there's got to be a better way or something else I can tell them besides try this supplement or try that supplement or cut your calories more, exercise more, because I'm just sounding like every freaking other health influencer out there and no one's being served from it. No one's being helped from it. So, you know, I have this kind of health crisis I'm going through myself, but I also have all these people that are following me that have been with me you know, on the carnivore journey for all these years and they're, they're struggling. And so, you know, that was just huge motivation. Number one, cause I wanted to get pregnant, but two, I also really wanted to help all of these people as well to understand why the dysfunction, why the perfect dot quote unquote, perfect diet yet still having all the health problems. Right. And so that's been, 
you know, pivotal for me in my journey is just like, okay, <laughs> let's look beyond. And that's why I've created a ton of webinars and I have a 21 day course now that's all about resetting your hunger signals because I find a lot of people that do keto carnivore also fall into uh, unhealthy eating patterns around fasting and not understanding the circadian nature of eating. And so that has to come into play also when we look at our overall health and hormonal balance. I love this. And I think it's so important. I've really just begun this journey since last summer to sort of incorporate my environment in a different way, that it's not just diet and to not look at diet or supplements as a panacea of something that is going yes. to fix anxiety or depression or these outliers after eating a really specific and clean diet that has helped, but only to a point. And, and right. As we get into the summer, this is my second summer where I've really had a different relationship with the sun. I've been working on my, my light hygiene for years, but this relationship that I have with the sun. And so I kind of want to dive in to some of these shifts that you made in your life that allowed for this quantum baby to come through. Yeah. And <laughs> I thought since we're right here, at the we're almost in July and we're at the heat of things, starting with that yeah. relationship with light. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I had to finally get my head around was the fact that I needed to be outside for sunrise, you know, and it is harder during the summer. I live in Atlanta, so it's not as hard as some of my more Northern friends that have the sunrise around 5 a.m. That's me, 445. Um, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I was out there this morning. That's amazing. That's so good. So yeah, I don't have it as hard as somebody way up north, but I've always been, you know, I've always been someone that kind of liked to sleep in and go to bed a little bit later. So I had to, that was a big shift for me of just like, okay, this is the one thing I'm going to do today is be outside for sunrise. And I didn't overcomplicate it. Like I've been over the last like few weeks, I've been kind of hiking out to an area where I can see the sun coming up over the horizon. But when I started this practice, I never saw the sun come over the horizon, probably even once. I never did. I was just outside as the sun was coming We're up. We're in a valley. And that was enough. We're in yeah. a valley. I don't see the sun come over the horizon, but I think it's enough yeah. to be to be out there, to be present. It is. Yeah. And you get the ambient light of the, you know, like the lights turning on and that's the, that's all your body needs. That's the signal that your body needs. And so number one, I started doing that. And then I started noting that I needed to start eating as well in the morning after years of, you know, being kind of brainwashed into believing that it was healthier for me to stop, you know, to not eat until one o'clock or two o'clock, you know, try to delay your eating window as long as possible. I had to make that shift of eating within 30 minutes to an hour of sunrise. And then I started making the shift of if I can do it outside, I'll do it outside. Right. Yes. Or if I can open a window and just kind of, you know, like my friend Carrie, I know you had her on Carrie Bennett. Um, her, the name of her podcast is the 2% better podcast. And so that was for me how my lifestyle changed. It wasn't like I woke up one day and started wearing blue blockers and started doing everything outside and started. It wasn't that way for me. It was like, okay, I'm going to start with sunrise and then, okay, I've got that. And now I'm going to start eating earlier in the day, cutting my eating window off earlier in the day. 
you know, and it just became this evolution. And then understanding, like, when I was going through all the fertility testing, they did test my vitamin D and it was a 33. And so, and I knew that was probably not good. And Dr. Cruz was like, that's definitely not good. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Cruz's benchmark, like, I think is, is his 60 at the 60. low end. Yeah. 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 He's like 60 is a minimum. And I was like, oh, well, I'm way below your minimum, you know? And so it became kind of like a little game for me of how can I safely get sun exposure? Cause I, I, you know, been a pretty fair skinned person my whole life who's had been very prone to sunburn. And so, you know, not using sunscreen and just building up the solar callus and using the D-Minder app, learning how to do that. Yeah. I think these, I actually, I really want to unpack this because I was thinking about, we talk a lot about it on this podcast. I really think that there's a break in our dietary history when Ansel Keys comes out with the seven countries study oh, yeah. and we see this vilification of saturated fat. And I think that there's a really similar story to be told about the sun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've been told that it's evil. It's bad. It's going to ruin your eyes. You need to wear sunscreen even indoors. Yes. You know, even though these sunscreens yes. have chem like chemicals in them that cause cancer. Yes. Those, this is your protection from cancer is something that's going to cause cancer. And you're cancer. putting it Rub on your, it all over your largest your organ, your skin. Right. And it's right. getting absorbed into your bloodstream. And what right. is that interaction between then putting chemicals on your skin and then heating it with UV light and getting right. hot and sweaty? And it's just instantly going in. And so I think that there's there's a bad story here about... Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, I had to wrap my, and I was scared. I had to wrap my brain around all that. But for me, I'm somebody who I just love learning. And so when I'm, when I'm interested in a topic, if I'm not interested, forget it. Like I couldn't finish college because I hated math so much. I was like, I hate this. I'm not doing it. I'm going to go into sales. And that's, <laughs> I still kick myself that I didn't finish um, because I should have, but I had a bunch of other stuff going on at the time. And so I just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go make money and have a career. I don't need this. But when I'm interested in something, I will study the hell out of it. And so for me to implement a lot of this stuff in my life also meant that I'm going to seek out courses. I'm going to seek out different people. I'm going to bring them on my podcast. Um, and that was the cool thing about having the platform that I did have is that, it did allow me to access people because of the size of the amount of followers I had that I could show, you know, be like, Hey, these are the amount of followers I have. Can you come talk in my pot? And it still is cool that I can access people that I never would have had access to yeah. had I not had this platform, you you've know, had so some, that's been, you've had some incredible guests on from Jack Cruz to, I just listened to your interview with Ian Mitchell, who I love. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's, I love him. Yeah, he's he and I have become else. friends. Like he, his mom and uh, my daughter are like pen pals right now, which is really cool. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's such a cool guy, but yeah, I've been able to access some really cool people. And so just using that to my advantage to continue to say, Oh, well, I can implement this. And so it was just little changes. And then, you know, the October of last year, which I haven't talked about this super publicly yet. I think before we turn on the, the, the recording, we kind of spoke about this. There's a lot about my fertility journey that I'm not putting online at this point because it's like throwing, 
showing it to a crowd and then letting them just have their own say about it. On a podcast, I feel a little more comfortable talking about these things because there's a conversation happening and there's not a freaking comment section Yeah, (laughs) where I'm getting unsolicited advice and you should have done this and you should have done that. And it's like, you don't know the whole story, but you know, October of last year was a really pivotal point for me because we had, we did decide to try IVF after experiencing, you know, loss, trying to do it the natural way. The doctor convinced us that, um, and it was a wrong thing to convince us to do because the pathology from the loss actually showed the babies that I had lost were normal. Um, they didn't have genetic abnormalities, but what they'll tell you if you have experienced a loss is like, we can do, you can do IVF and then we will test the embryos to make sure they're genetically normal. And then that's going to give you the chance of a healthy baby, a healthy pregnancy, right? Just sign here and spend $45,000. And at the time I was so distraught over having lost pregnancies that I was just like, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do do it. I I want this. I want this baby. I know I want the baby. I've been through all this pain and sadness and like, they're giving me a a sure thing, a sure ticket, you know, that this is going to work. And (laughs) we went through two grueling rounds of IVF. IVF is not a process I would ever wish on my worst enemy because you're injecting yourself nightly with uh, medications, you know, giving yourself shots every night. My stomach was like covered in bruises by the end of it. You have to go to the doctor and get an ultrasound and blood work every other day, which sucks because you're driving, you know, across town. And then it's like medical trauma to constantly have someone examining you, giving you you these invasive ultrasounds. And then you're at the ultrasound, like, am I, how many follicles am I growing? Are there, you know, is it good news or is it bad news? And then you're waiting around every day till three o'clock for them to call you and tell you, okay, well, we're going to have you do like another week of the medication or ready for surgery. And then again, when you're done with the stimming process, you have to go through surgery um, for them to take the eggs out. Then you have to go through a waiting process to see, are these going to be good embryos? You know, and so we went through that process twice and it was just emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting, sure. not to mention all the drugs and things yeah. that are going in my body Those hormones. and it's, oh my God, it's crazy. And so the first round we made two embryos, but they had so many genetic abnormalities that they would not let me transfer them, which I was devastated about. But I was like, well, we still have one more round that we paid for. So it's fine. The second round, the embryos all died on day six. There were like five of them and they just like, and she was like, well, we don't know why that happened, but it just happens if there's abnormalities. So, you know, you let's reevaluate and you can do some more IVF because she's like, for women your age, usually it's going to take four to five rounds. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Like, like that's what's that no, you can on your cuss. Podcast, you can but. cuss, and I think that's I think that's the right response. I mean, that is just yeah astronomical in terms of financial investment, in terms of biological investment, emotional right. investment, everything. Right. That and and heartbreaking. And oh, by the way, I have this like public you know profile that I'm talking about health. Meanwhile, having my own health crisis and grief and trying to process all of this and being like, 
my diet's been perfect. I've been following the rules. I've been doing the carnivore and it, and, and I'm going through all this shit and like, you know, and I, I don't want to talk about it with anybody. I'm still trying to process it. You know, what the hell do I do? And so at that point, after that second round didn't work, it was, Oct- it was October. I was devastated, like completely devastated. My, I didn't think anybody was home. And I like was just in my room, like screaming at the top of my lungs. And my husband was home and he came in and he was just like, I've never in all the years I've known you, we've been together since we were 25. So we've been together like almost 18 years, you know, he's like in the 18 years we've been together, I've never seen you this upset. We don't have to keep trying for the baby. Like we don't have to keep doing this. We don't have to, it's okay. I love you. And we love Alexis and that's enough. Like that can just, that's our family, you know, it's okay. And I just, I was just like distraught, you know, like, what do I do now? And And angry. I I mean, I can't imagine, I I can't imagine the amount of rage. I just at so many different (laughs) things. And uh, I mean, I I commend you for letting it out. I always, that's always better out than in. (laughs) You have to, you have to get it out. (laughs) It's so important. The the neighbors might be like, what the hell should we call the police? (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that, you know, that was, that was crazy. And I, you know, at the time I was paying doctors I was working with that had me on a ton of supplements, you know, probably spending on top of all the IVF, I was also spending between 500 to a thousand dollars a month on all these supplements. Okay. And consultation calls like, Hey, if you want to talk to me for 15 minutes, it's $600, you know? So I'm just like puking out money, like yeah. just open up a vein and just like, let's pour it out. Yeah. And, and so I took a step back and actually, um, called my friend Corey Gasvini. I don't know if you've met Dr. Gasvini before. I haven't, but I've heard, I've heard him speak on several podcasts. Yeah. And so I called Corey and I was like, I don't know what to do, Corey. And he's just like, look, he, I mean, he's, he's so, he was so kind and he's just like, look, you and I both know the stuff that you have been doing. He's like, I've been watching you. Cause I met him probably September when I was already undergoing a lot of this stuff. And I was telling him what was going on. I had him on my podcast and he was like, I wasn't going to say anything to you. I want you to do what you got to do. But I wanted to tell you, I wanted to stop you from doing all the stuff you've been doing and working with this doctor who's making you spend all this money on supplements. And I wanted to tell you not to do it, but that's not my place. But now that you're here, you know, I just want to, I don't want you to feel bad that this stuff didn't work because it's not your fault. You know, it's just that you were not doing the right things to fix your mitochondria. And that's what we need to do is fix your mitochondria. And so that helped a lot to hear that. And he was the one who was like, I need you, you know, I need you getting cold. I need you cold plunging it's October. It's getting cold. You need to be cold plunging. You need to be sleeping. You need to quit fasting all the time. You need to, you know, and then I started looking into the red light panel, the red light panels. um, There's been a ton of research around red light therapy and fertility. There was a study that was done that showed, you know, this large cohort of women that had undergone failed IVF that did red light therapy on their abdomen. And they had, I can't remember what the success rate was. I want to say it was like a 60% I'll find it and I'll link that in the show notes. But I, I mean, 60, 60%, anything even remotely close to that, that, yeah. that is a massive shift. 
And why is no doctor telling me about that? And the oldest woman was 50, right? (laughs) That got pregnant after the red light therapy. And so I started doing that. I did deuterium depleted water. I did cold therapy and I just went hard on the circadian stuff. Anytime I could be out in a forest off the grid walking, I was. I mean, I literally was in the woods. I didn't care how cold it was. I was in the woods as much as I could be. I was barefoot as much as I could be plunging. I mean, doing all this stuff. And I, and I had to change my mindset as well, because when you've gone through so much loss, you start to look at other people that are making pregnancy announcements and you get jealous or you get, well, that's, you know, you get mad. And I had to start being happy for those people. And I had to start you know, wishing them well and being happy for them and also believing that I could still have this baby and that it still was a possibility for me because I had kind of just been like, I don't think it's going to happen for me, but I had to really make that shift in my morning meditation, the evening meditation of envisioning him because I knew it was going to be a boy, which by the way, all the babies we had lost were girls when they tested them. The embryos we made were girls. And, and I had had a vision of a little boy back in 2016 that had come to me and was like, I'm healthy. You can bring me here. And was like telling me this back in 2016. And I, and I wasn't even considering having another kid at the time, but I could never get that out of my mind. It was a little boy. And so through all the loss and everything, I'm like, well, it was a girl. Yeah. And then when I did find out that this one was a boy, it kind of was like, oh my gosh, then this is like a legitimate real, you know, this is a real thing. This little, that was the the little boy that came to me. Yeah. This is the baby that came to me all those years ago. And I've been envisioning him this whole time. And so, you know, I did all that stuff and I was very like, you know, had to change my mindset, had to change everything, the way that I thought. Our thoughts, because uh, our thoughts shape our biology. There's a, there's a two-way highway that's happening there as much as between us and our environment, that our thoughts are are shaping what's happening inside of ourselves at a cellular level. Absolutely. And so that was like, I think that was like the final thing that had to happen for me was the mindset of just believing it was possible, envisioning him, envisioning myself pregnant and, and all of that had to happen for this to all take place. And so, you know, in January, I was like, well, if, if we can't, if this doesn't happen naturally, then we'll just go back and do some more IVF. Like that's the point where I was at, but lo and behold, (laughs) <laughs> a positive pregnancy test to the end of January. And I was just like, oh, In f- oh my gosh, four you know, months. I mean, four yeah. months of, of nature walks and red light therapy and yeah. seeing sunrise and deuterium yeah. depleted water and yeah. uh, this mindset shift. I mean, yeah. that's and, incredible. Yeah. And so it was like, and, and it has been a little bit terrifying. You know, you're always terrified after you experience pregnancy after loss. I'd never really understood that until I was there. So I was absolutely terrified for the first, you know, definitely the first eight weeks. I remember going for that first ultrasound to see if they could find a heartbeat. Cause I had already been through two other ultrasounds where there was no heartbeat. And that was just freaking devastating. And, you know, I was just, I, I had a feeling though, like that it was a real one because I was just feeling so terrible. <laughs> I was like, I never felt this bad with the other two. <laughs> so there's got to be something going on. And I remember seeing the little, t- I mean, it's crazy how it's like this little tiny baby, even though 
you know, you're eight, nine weeks along, it's there. It's like got arms and legs and moving around and you're like, oh my gosh, it's real. And then you hear the heartbeat and, uh, yeah. So, um, I'm due October the 7th and everything has been, you know, great. He's like kicking me right now as I'm talking, <laughs> but everything has been, you know, good with the pregnancy. It's been, it's been really good anatomy scan. I've done all the genetic testing, <laughs> too much testing, but you know, they kind of make you do a lot of things when you're over 40, but everything's come back with flying colors and, so yeah, I, f- I feel pretty good about everything. And yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the pregnancy story. I love that. I think that's such a beautiful story. And I think that it's a really, I hope that it's a really hopeful story for women that are trying to conceive yeah, that there are too. all of these healing modalities out there that are low cost, uh, many of them free, and that they right. are accessible, that you can go yes. and you can put your body back into its environment, become a part of nature again, and that that can really you know, heal some sort of connection in that fertility journey. And and so I just think that's great. I wonder if we might unpack just a couple of the things that you did throughout that space. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I want to circle back actually to the the vitamin D first. I want to start where we started. And I'm curious if that, if you're spending time in the sun, building up that solar callus, which I think you do by going out in the, in the early sun, in the early sunrise to get that UVA and infrared light from the sun. And did it shift your vitamin D levels? Did that change? Oh yeah. By the end of the summer last year, my vitamin D was over a hundred and, and my doctor was like, that's not good. But I kind of knew at that point that it was because <laughs> I know Cruz, he keeps his level at like 139. And so I wasn't worried about it, but yeah, I was able to go from a 33 in May till the end of September, I was like over a hundred and I kept up, you know, there's some people that say you don't need to to expose your body to UVB during the winter. I did it on buying a asperity vitamin D lamp. We have a, and I used it. Yeah. I mean, I use it in conjunction with my red light and I tried to have a window open when I was using that so that my eyes would also get the signal of light because that's where hormone production for your skin starts is in your eyes. And so I did, I didn't, I never tell people, oh, go get a Sparity lamp. I've heard people say that. And I'm like, that's kind of irresponsible to tell people to just do that without giving context. You got to see sunrise. You got to see UVA, even if it's winter, right? Yes. And then you probably want to use it in conjunction with a red light device. Because and the sun doesn't open a, ever have right. just one, one just wavelength. wavelength of light. Yeah. Right. And then if you can open a window again to give your eyes that signal, I think it's a lot safer of a process. Again, there's still people that are like, eh, don't bother with it. Your liver can store vitamin D. But because I was working on getting pregnant, I wanted to keep my levels really at a good place. Yes. And so all I did was the the Sparity lamp and the red light. And then when I tested my levels in March, it was a 60. So I felt like it's good. That's good. It's gone a little yeah. down a little bit, which I think is natural in the winter. In the winter yeah. Again, yeah. I, it's your liver that stores vitamin D. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so that storage is going to go down. And I want to draw attention to one more thing. You're not wearing protective lens wear when you're using the Sparity. You are because ta- this is something that I've had to add recently is 
taking out contacts, taking off glasses in order to fully get the UV light into my suprachiasmatic nucleus and really sending the correct signal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's very important because, and I don't look at the lamp. Like I try, I don't look at it because that can really hurt your eyes, but I'm not, I'm not covering the eyes either. So that's another thing. Yeah. Just like not looking at the sun. Still go outside without sunglasses, but you don't look at the sun. Right. That's the thing. Whenever I post about the sun, people are like, oh, but you're going to get all these cataracts. I'm like, I'm not looking directly at it, guys. Like, I'm not telling you to do that either. That's probably a pretty poor idea. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we want to use our common sense. And then that red, I know that my husband and I built a red light therapy lamp and it, it has been, it has been such a huge thing for my health and in winter here, something that feels oh gosh, yeah. like a really nice Amazing. therapy to, <laughs> yes. to sit in, uh, when it gets yeah. really cold as well as experiencing cold, which brings me to this yes. piece, because I think that this is so important. If your environment yeah. is cold, there are a lot of hormonal cascades that happen when we get out there and put our bodies in the cold or simulate that through a cold plunge. Yep, exactly. I mean, it actually speeds up the electron transport chain. And so what that essentially does, yeah, yeah, that's what it, that's one of the main benefits of cold therapy is it speeds up that electron transport chain. And so there's less ROS, like less reactive oxygen species, less inflammation, speeds up your metabolism, and it just makes healthier mitochondria. And so one of the problems with fertility is that there's poor mitochondrial health. And the largest, densest, you know, formation of of mitochondria in the body for women is your ovaries, you know, those eggs. And then for for men, it's the brain. So women, your ovaries, and then your brain, right? Um, So that is why improving your mitochondrial function will improve your fertility, you know, will improve that egg quality. And that was our issue with pregnancy. My husband was fine. We tested him. It was my egg quality, which declines as you age. But now in women, even younger and younger, younger, it's declining. And there's hormonal dysfunction and all kinds of issues that cause women to not have good egg quality at a young age. Yes. Um, Which I think is scary. It's terrifying. It really is terrifying. Yeah. And so that's, what the cold did for me, and I didn't just jump right into 32 degree water, you know, <laughs> I started off my water at 60 degrees, you know, which it, it doesn't sound that cold, but it is cold if you're not used to it. Anything colder than your body temperature is, is cold therapy. It's cold. That's yeah. what Corey told me. And so I started off at 60 degrees and then I just slowly got that water colder, colder, colder. By January, it was down to 32 degrees. And, and were you so, doing this in in a tub with ice? Mm-hmm. Okay. In an ice tub out on my deck, you know, and I'm, I'm in Georgia, so it doesn't get freezing, freezing here. It does get to the 20s, 30s, and teens, you know, in the wintertime, especially at night. So, and I would plunge in the morning, like I would plunge in the morning when it was still, you know, sun was still coming up. That was the best time for me to plunge. I think it's the best time for a lot of people to plunge because it does raise your body temperature to do that. And you want your body temperature to go up. And then by the end of the day, you want your body temperature going down. And so that's a part of what signals sleep to come on. And so you don't want to disrupt that important cascade by doing a sort of later afternoon cold plunge. 
And some people can do the plunge at night and swear that it helps them sleep better and it, and it might. But for me, I tried doing it in the evening and I noticed my sleep was horribly disrupted. So yeah, I mean, I would get up and see sunrise and I would eat a little breakfast. Sometimes people will say, do it fasted. But the other thing about fertility and hormonal balance is if you put too many stressors into one bucket, then you are going to create an issue. Like the first month I did the cold plunging, I did it every single day because I don't do anything halfway. And I'm, I'm the like, same way. I want, <laughs> I want this baby. I will do anything to get the baby. I got a cold plunge every day. I'll do it. Cool. And my cycle, it was five days late that first time. And so that that's first month. And so that's an indication if your cycle is late or early that you've created some kind of hormonal issue. And so the next month and the month after that, I went to three days a week and that ended up working. <laughs> you know, it was like a good amount for me. It was three days a week. So that's another thing. And then, yeah, Not like to I said, stress just your body out too much. Like you want to keep, right. you, you want to keep, because that's, that's part of your hormonal cascade is to keep some, some evenness to not have too much cortisol within the system to have exactly just the right amount yep. of cortisol or else it's going to exactly. steal pregnenolone. You're exactly. going to steal pregnenolone to make extra excess cortisol. And then you're going to miss out on important things like progesterone, progesterone, yep. estrogen. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So there's a, there's a balance, you know, and it does, it does increase your testosterone because that had always been an issue for me since my like mid thirties was I had super low testosterone. Like my level was like a five when I tested it when I was in my mid thirties. And I was like, well, you know, my doctor was like, well, I can give you testosterone cream. And I was like, oh, I don't really think I want to do that. But no one ever really told me how to increase my testosterone naturally. And the way you do that is red light therapy and cold therapy, red meat and lifting weights. You know, those are those are natural ways if you're under the age of 45 and you're a woman to yep. increase your testosterone. And my testosterone level For men too, levels, actually. All yeah. of those things oh, are great for increasing testosterone in men as well as women. And I, Absolutely. I love that you're bringing this up because I think we don't often talk enough about women's need for testosterone oh, yeah. and what a vitally important hormone it's that vital is. It's vitally important for your egg quality, you know, because, because of the DHEA. And they'll have women going through fertility treatments take DHEA. But as I've learned through this quantum journey, an exogenous hormone, like, like D, taking a vitamin D yeah. supplement, taking DHEA, taking melatonin, all of those are hormones. And when we take an exogenous hormone, the body doesn't necessarily know what to do with it. And it can affect your body's ability to make it endogenously. Now, sometimes, yes, yes it can give you a little steroidal boost. You might feel better. You might see your numbers on lab tests get better. But does it actually do what you need it to do? You know, you ideally want your body making melatonin. Making melatonin. Yes. Making that testosterone. Is a yeah, making testosterone, yes. making melatonin, making vitamin D. You want your body to do that on its own. And it is very possible, but we've become so disconnected from the fact that our bodies are capable of doing these things that we yes. think we need to supplement all this crap, you know, and we don't. I think that's an extension in many ways of the allopathic Western medical model that even when you get out of it, you still believe that there's there's some sort of solution in a pill, right? That there's yep. this, this sort of easy fix. And what we really want to do is create the environment where our bodies can 
activate the resiliency that's inherent to them and to create these things endogenously without exogenous substances. A hundred percent. Yeah. We're just, like I said, we're just too quick. And that's the path I was on when I was hemorrhaging money was what supplement can I take? And it's frustrating because when I'm on Instagram and I'm posting about a different topic, you know, like hydration, for instance, I've been, I was, I wanted to get a hydration webinar. Yeah. And, and everyone is like, well, what minerals do I take? What water do I drink? And I'm like, yes, but no, like, because why are you dehydrated? You know, like what's happening, how, what's happening on a cellular level to your body that is causing you to have to chase these minerals. And yeah, there, this is, you know, this is like spring water here with minerals in it. And I drink it out of a glass jar. Yep. I spring water, minerals, yep. glass jar. Exactly. And, and so that, yes, important, but you got to look deeper. And the first question out of your mouth shouldn't be what supplements do I take and what, what can I buy? Like that's, that's how I want to shift people's thinking and, and figure out a way to do this without bewildering them too much. But I want to shift their thinking away from what can I buy? What supplements do I need to what, how can I support my body so that I'm not losing minerals all the time? How can I support my body so that I can make these hormones endogenously? What can, you know, like I want people to look at at life through that lens a little bit more. Yes. How can I find the answer in me instead of outside of me? And I think that there's this idea that someone has the, whether it's a a guru or a pill or a doctor or whatever it is, everybody but my body and me have the answers. And I think it's when we reclaim that sense of autonomy and empowerment and we see our own resiliency, that our body wants to be in homeostasis, our body wants to heal and that it, it can really just take small shifts, many of them free and just environmental changes. Right. That can do this. Um, yeah. and I, I, and, and I think that y- your pregnancy is such a great example of yep. doing that. I'm curious yeah. too, if we might dive into hydration a little bit, because this is actually something, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about as I work with animals on the farm. Oh yeah. And I noticed everybody talks about drinking a gallon of water a day. Yeah. And if you're, if your pee is clear, that's how you yeah. know you're hydrated. And I noticed, <laughs> you know, here are these, these perfect creatures that know exactly what they need. Yes. And I don't know if you've read Fred Provenza's book, Nourishment, but he talks mm-hmm. about the incredible intelligence of ruminants to be able to select the exact minerals they need from a wide wow. variety of plant sources. And they're connected to the earth, right? They're getting grounded. They don't have a lot of non-native EMF exposure. Right. And I noticed that these animals, especially in the winter, actually had the darkest pee right? Wow. That, they, that they weren't just drowning themselves in water. And I'd watch, yep. I'd watch the horses and the cows, which have access to beautiful, fresh running spring water with yes. this really dark urine. And, yep. and it kind of, kind of shook something loose in me. And I was like, well, this is, this is interesting because their bodies know. And so yep. what are we doing with our is, is this really hydration that we're experiencing when we're aiming at this, this clear urine the number, bowl, yeah. or this one gallon of water? 
Right. We, we are overthinking it, you know, and my example I've been using a ton lately is my dog. We finally, I finally pulled the trigger and was like, I'm putting her on a raw diet because she went to the vet earlier this year and her liver enzymes were elevated. And I was like, my dog's getting fatty liver from this stupid kibble. And this is not okay because I want my little boy to be able to experience the dog. She's eight years old. She's the sweetest thing in the world. I love my dog. And, you know, I want the little, I want my son to be able to play with the dog and have her around. And these dogs, you know, her breed is supposed to live 15 years and she's having liver issues at age eight. Like this is not okay. So I've kind of put my foot down with my husband. I'm like, I am in charge of the food now. Like we're switching her to raw. That's it. And so I did find, um, it's called BJ's raw pet food and they mix foods for you. It's like organ meats and, um, they put in wild seafood fats, like they have all kinds of different mixes. And so I just, I've been ordering it It's a little pricey, but I also get uh, raw goat milk, raw goat kefir, bone broth. So I've been ordering for her and keeping a lot of it in the freezer and feeding her. And the biggest thing that my husband, you know, noticed, he's like, Sarah, she's not drinking her water anymore. Why isn't she drinking her water? Is she okay? Is oh, this diet making her sick? Yeah. He's like, is this diet making her sick? Like she's not drinking the, I keep on changing the water every morning and then I notice it's full. And I'm like, here's the thing. Does the dog wake up and say, I need eight glasses of water today? No. <laughs> she's, <laughs> am I thirsty? <laughs> no. Am I thirsty? Yes. I'll drink the water. If I'm not thirsty, I won't drink the water. And so, you know, because she's been on this raw diet and she does get uh, mixed in with her food, bone broth and goat milk and, and goat kefir, she probably doesn't have a great need to go and chug water because he was used to her eating the kibble every day and just thirsty all the time. I mean, I would hear and I'd have to stop her from drinking because she'd puke it all up. She'd drink too fast and then she'd puke everywhere. Oh, and I was that like, is a that is a bad thirst signal, right? That's right. a broken thirst signal. Yeah. Cuz she would just lap up the water. And so now she's not drinking it and my husband's freaking out. He's like it's the this this food's not good for her and I'm like, "Dude, it's the opposite. <laughs> she's she's hydrated." Because she's getting fat, because she's getting the proper nutrients, and she's not overly thirsty because her liver's not working overtime. And so, like, that is my main example for people. You know, you shouldn't be chasing down water and chasing down minerals and chasing down hydration constantly if you are living the right lifestyle, right? So, number one, you know, these devices that we have the AirPods, the Apple watches, the, I used to wear aura ring, you know, when your body is, and our cell phones, like keeping your cell phone on your body, it depletes the easy water, which is exclusions on water, the water inside of your body, 15 to 20%. So just by you holding a radioactive device up to your body, you're dehydrating yourself, right? And then we're not even talking about emotional, you know, if you look into Dr. Emoto's work, um, which I taught about in the, in the webinar, the, you're structuring the water network inside of your body through sound, you know, through bird song, through listening to rivers, lakes, streams, 
You know, your body is your the water network inside of your body is tuning that. If you're if you're around a bunch of negative people or listening to the news, listening to you know consuming content that's negative, dehydrating, yes. destructuring the water inside of your body, and then if you're missing out on sunlight, you know UVA light and infrared light, red light that actually can increase the easy water, the exclusions on water inside of your body fourfold just by exposing wow. your skin and your body to those light waves, right? So light is important for hormonal balance and regulation, but it's also important for our cellular hydration because we are in an EMF soup a lot yes, of the time. Yeah. So if you're in that EMF soup and you're not getting sunlight on your body, whoo, you are setting yourself up for some serious issues with hydration, right? And you've vastly decreased your cellular hydration. I mean, if it's right. 15 to 20% with the non-native EMFs that we're constantly surrounded by right. and then adding in junk light and right. no outdoor sun exposure. Exactly. So yeah. recipe for disaster. Exactly. So, you know, I tell people, if you do have to be indoors, you better, like I'm sitting here, you know, in front of my computer, even though I have the window open and I have Iris on my computer, I'm I like, I still have you know, my clean spring water and minerals that I'm drinking, sipping on that to kind of offset some of this. And then I'll be offsetting this with outdoor time barefoot in the yard. You know, there's you, you can't necessarily get away from the EMF like or non-native EMF because not, not all EMF is bad. Like the earth is EMF, my heart, your heart, the heart coherence, that's EMF. Like that's electromagnetic frequency. It's not bad, but the non-native is what stresses out our body. And so yeah, the Wi-Fi's and the yeah, 5G exactly. and the, the wireless communication devices. Exactly. All the devices. And so just understanding that on a basic level and then doing some mitigation, if you can stand in front of a red light panel, that's another way to rehydrate your body as well. Again, remember the easy water expands up to fourfold. So getting in front of a red light panel. I mean, there's thing, there's things that we can do to mitigate our modern lives. And so when I teach hydration, I don't want it to be like a two to one ratio, sodium to potassium and add in this and take the magnesium and do that. Yeah, that can be really helpful. But if you're doing all this other stuff, then what's the freaking point? You know, you're just... <laughs> just going to be chasing after a bunch of stuff. And again, looking for stuff outside of you to, to complete your health. And, and that's not the, that's not what we need to be doing. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that we have these beautiful mirrors, right? We have our animals that are mirroring to us just how that relationship with water or how that relationship with minerals and food, how intuitive that could be. And I think there's a lot of social programming that you have to kind of break down the eight glasses of water a day or a gallon of water a day or clear urine, whatever those goal marks are, and then really focus on, on what is dehydrating you at this cellular level. And I think that uh, some of your work here. And I think the hydration webinar, which we'll put a link into is is such a great resource for people, because I think that this really is one of those, one of those next steps that people can take to really shift, to really shift something at a cellular level. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I want people. I just want to change the perspective a little bit. Like when you get to the nutrition space, 
that's a step in the right direction. You're, you're going, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, right? But if that's where you stop, you may end up frustrated. You know, (laughs) you, you may end up not quite reaching your goals and then spinning out and buying this program and this program. And let me hire this coach and that coach when you don't really need all that stuff. You just need to understand the innate intelligence of your body and how to tap into that. And, and that's the secret to the, the long-term sustainable health, in my opinion. I love that. I could not agree more. And, and being into nature, I want to begin to wrap up. And I'm curious how you've carried these practices into your pregnancy, right? We talked so yeah. much about your preconception journey. And I, before we get there, I do want to highlight, I think that this is really an important part, that preconception phase. Yes, huge. That if you can huge. spend some space, and my husband and I are talking about having kids eventually I'm getting there (laughs) and, and maybe, maybe trying towards the end of next year. And so I'm beginning to think about what does that preconception phase look like? How do I get more minerals in my body? How do I find states of cellular hydration and ease before I go into a space where baby takes a lot of resources? Yeah. I mean, when I first went to one of my I think it was like my 16 week appointment. I was like, can you please draw my vitamin D? Because I was still, it was still like April, I think at the time. I can't remember what, when it was exactly. I think it was April, um, maybe beginning in May. And I was like, can you test my vitamin D? Cause I'm kind of, I was just curious to see cause the sun wasn't really bright enough for me to get a lot from it yet. And it had gone down to a 55 and I hadn't changed anything. And because when and you had more vitamin D, I mean, it's later in the year, you have right. more vitamin D exposure available and I'm outside. And so what that told me is like the baby, you better have your stores built up because the baby's going to take it because we're building a human. Like we, <laughs> we need vitamin D for bones and teeth and all, you know, this is important that he's taking it. And so that's why my level went down. It was five points. So it's not like, Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. You know, I was like, all right, I'll use my lamp a little bit more and summer's around the corner. So I'll be able to lay outside and no big deal. But yeah, when you are pregnant, you, you better kind of get your body ready because the baby's about to take it. (laughs) (laughs) They are going to take it and you're going to be left like depleted and not feeling good if you haven't done the prep work and you're going to end up with a child that's not as healthy if you haven't done the prep work, you know, and that's another thing I don't think people understand is that you need a certain amount of choline, you know, you need a certain amount of folate, you need vitamin D, you need minerals, all these yeah. things in order to, to make a healthy baby. And so, yeah, I mean, I had started on the Quinton minerals last June cause I heard Robert Slovak talking about any woman who wants to conceive should start remineralizing their body six months before the pregnancy at least. And so I was taking those minerals like three times a day. I still take them in all my water to keep minerals in my body. But I spent a lot of time remineralizing my body because I was depleted, you know, and getting all those nutrients, tons of egg yolks for the choline. I don't eat a lot of liver, but I do take the, the, the desiccated, (laughs) I have some on my desk over here. So, I mean, I keep, I I do a lot of just, you know, getting a lot of nutrients in, but since I've been pregnant, you know, first trimester was rough. I was thinking, ah, I'm so healthy. It'll be easy. It was still really rough. I did not feel good. I felt really tired. 
I had to just let myself rest and I had to be okay with missing a few sunrises because I did. You know, I was, I, there were some mornings where I just love it. I just couldn't do it. I was just exhausted. The room was spinning and I'm like, this is going to pass. And it did. It right around week 14, I woke up and I was like, oh, I feel better. And the nausea this time around between my daughter and this one was different because with my daughter, it was like 24 hours a day. With this one, I started getting breaks where I wouldn't get nauseous until like two in the afternoon, you know, and then it'd be there, you know, so I would get breaks in there. And then I would say it started improving overall around week 10. Um, With my daughter, it was just solid 24 hours a day up until, you know, the end of 13 weeks. It was horrible. With this pregnancy, I got some breaks in there. You know, it wasn't like 24 hours a day. So, and every pregnancy is different, but I am 43 now and I was 28 then. So, so a little different there. Um, age difference. difference. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I've been, you know, now that it's second trimester, I'll be, uh, 26 weeks tomorrow. So I'm almost in third trimester, which is wild to me. I've been doing, I get up every morning. My body just naturally wakes up before sunrise. And so I'm usually awake like 10 minutes before sunrise, throw my shoes on, Walk, you know, usually start my day with a walk for sunrise, come back, eat breakfast, which is usually some kind of an egg based thing because I'm trying to do a ton of choline, you know, and just spending as much time outdoors as I, as I can. My whole thought process is can I do this outside? Can I bring this outside? You know, is Wi Fi necessary? Is, you know, I, I'm just kind of always thinking that way. And I haven't and I don't want to tell anybody else what to do because it's not, this not medical advice or anything like that, but I haven't been taking the standard prenatal vitamins. I do, um, beef organs, bone marrow, beef liver. I do oyster capsules. So it's like an oyster supplement. That's got all your iodine and zinc and selenium and And copper, copper. which is a big, I know there's a big copper transfer that happens in the third trimester from mother to baby. Yep. And, and so, beefing up those stores as it were. Yeah. So I do that and I, uh, eat salmon roe at least five days a week. Now I I do, my husband is is the one who's, I got him understanding how important that that was for building the brain and the nervous system. So he, there's only one brand that I like and my whole foods has been out of it. And so he actually called the company and has like been paying them way too much money to have them ship tins of it here and keep it stocked for me. It's super, it's so super sweet. That's so sweet. Yeah. It's very sweet. So I do like a a nice big tablespoon of salmon roe at least five days a week. Um, and just keep up with a nice meat based diet, you know, lots of meat, eggs and raw dairy. I've have been doing a ton of raw milk. I'm a little obsessed with raw milk right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Another good source of it. iodine and yeah, you know, vitamin so, A. Yep, there's exactly. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of important stuff in there. Yeah, my raw milk obsession is a lot right now. <laughs> but my husband's like, "Is this the dog's milk?" I'm like, "No, it's mine. Don't touch it." No, that's my milk. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Does it, What are are your laws in Georgia? Uh, it has to be labeled I, for pets. So that freaked him out too. He's like, "Is this safe for you to have?" And I'm like, "If you Google it, it's not." But if <laughs> 
if you Google raw milk and pregnancy, you're probably going to find some stuff that's going to freak you out. But if you understand raw milk and pregnancy and that it was done for <laughs> thousands, thousands of years, of years. Then yes, you you see it's actually good for me. So don't don't stress about it just because it says for pets, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, I'm. I love all of that, and I think that that I as I've had friends that have gotten pregnant and have followed their intuition. It's often led them to places that if you Google it, that's not what they'd say to do. But I think that there is so much wisdom in the pregnant woman's body. And I think that the whole food matrix offers us so much more in terms of that deep nourishment and that deep, deep receiving of minerals, which are so vital during this time, because you're, you're building another human. And so I, I love being able to share this with my listeners and yeah. for them to get a little peek into that. Yeah. And I, I will wanna... say first trimester that I was, I woke up one day and was like, if I don't have a potato, I'm going to kill someone. And like, I could not stop thinking about potatoes and I yeah. haven't had a potato in years because I've been carnivore and low carb. Yeah. And then I researched like what's in a potato, like the potassium, the B6, all the stuff that was getting depleted like crazy from me in first trimester. That's when the most depletion happens, you know, is is a lot in the first trimester and the third. But that's why you feel so good in the second. But I (laughs) was like, I need you to go and get potatoes for me. And so, you know, someone who is like, I'm just not going to be dogmatic about my diet during pregnancy, if I'm craving it and it's a whole food, it's not Ben and Jerry's or Dairy Queen or whatever. Yeah, if it's a whole patch food, kids. right. And I'm craving it. I'm going to eat it, you know? And Absolutely. so it was like potatoes and tomatoes were like potassium. Yeah. It was, my body was just like, please give me this now. And, and so I went with it, you know, and I didn't feel a stitch of guilt about it. And every time I would eat those foods, I would actually feel better. I'd get some relief from the nausea And so I just want to throw that out there too. When we talk about pregnancy and the health of the pregnancy, if you're, I think if your body, like I said, is giving you a signal to eat a whole food, then you might want to investigate that. You know, you might want to see what nutrient is in this food that I could possibly be lacking right now that, that there's like a, a, an urge that's overtaking me to eat this, you know? Yes. Yeah. And that there's wisdom, there's wisdom right. in that, in that desire. And I, I go back, we'll put a link into it to Fred Provenza's book. I, we are, we are animals yes. and our bodies do know. Yes. And I always think it's important to come back to that knowing. And from the women that I've seen that are, are pregnant around me in this space, it is incredible to watch that wisdom almost amplify to yep. come back home to that state of intuition. Definitely. That, this is what my body needs. Yep. Absolutely. I want to bring it back around through all of this. You know, we started talking about Alexis and I wonder how some of these practices have impacted her. Oh yeah. If, if that's all right to talk about. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I was always kind of told kids on the spectrum are just more sensitive to non-native EMFs and you need to be careful with her. And, I didn't really, I just thought it was woo woo, you know, but then when I saw myself 
mitigating the non-native EMF and my health improving and my hydration status and all these things, I, I was like, okay. So the iPad, she used to have this iPad she carried around and she, we used to give her multiple iPads because it was like, they make her happy. She listens to music and this is keeping her occupied because she can get into some serious trouble. <laughs> she, she, she gets into some trouble. And so taking the iPad away was hard because it's like, now we have to figure out activities, but her with all the stuff I was integrating, I took her with me. Anytime I'm going hiking, she comes with me, you know, and my family, I involve my whole family. And so my husband, he's not Mr. Outdoors. He's Mr. Let's watch football all day on Sunday. (laughs) He started going hiking with us. And now, I mean, we go hiking Saturday and Sunday. Like we as a family do a lot of stuff outdoors that we never did before. And she loves it. I mean, when you, when you watch her out in nature, it's something like you see something spiritual is going on because she's, she's just taking it all in. And if there's a running stream or a brook or running water, she has to sit by it. And she, she, she just wants to sit by it for like hours. And I was explaining to my husband, I'm like about the water network in the body. I'm like, this is what it's doing to the inside of her body and showing her some of Emoto's work. And, you know, like, this this is the water crystals inside of her body. This is what's happening for her. And that's why she's so drawn to this. And, uh, you know, I always used to put shoes on, you know, you need to wear shoes, you need to wear a coat. And she never wanted to wear shoes. She always wanted to be barefoot. She never wanted to wear a coat. She always wanted to be cold. And so me understanding these things is like, this child's been seeking out medicine for herself her whole life. You know, she's been seeking out, and I haven't understood that this is what she has needed, you know, was to, she comes home from school and wants to lay down in the backyard on the ground. And I would be yeah, like, That's, just yeah, I need to bathe in all of those gather electrons and yeah. just, and I just thought that's so strange, but now I just I love it. I'm like, go for it, girl, <laughs> do what you got to do. And so the new house that we're moving into, I've painted the bedrooms with Y shield paint to kind of block out the non-native EMF hardwired the house. And I bought her a Magnetico sleep pad. I want to get one for us, but um, they said not to do it during first trimester because it can cause a little detox. So I'm just going to wait till after the baby's here before I get one for us. But yeah, she's, we've got the sleep pad, the white shield, the hardwiring, and we're just, you know, building, a different life for her. And I always, you know, I say Alexis was my entryway into health. And I think that my son was the entryway into quantum health and understanding that. So both of them have like, even before he's gotten here has changed my viewpoint entirely. And she did too. And it's like, they're both just such amazing gifts, you know, and helping you see the world differently. And if you will, if you allow that, I think we're so quick to shut our kids down, you know, like put your shoes on, put your coat on. Um, don't, don't do that. Instead of question like, well, why doesn't my kid want to wear a coat in 30 yeah. degree weather? You know, maybe they don't need it. Yeah. You know, they've got all that brown fat. And so, yeah, I mean, mm. I think that my quantum Why shift, do they just want to eat meat? Right. Why is she only eating meat? You know, she needs to eat her vegetables. Let me force her to eat her vegetables. 
maybe not, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe she's got all she needs. And so that that's been huge, I think for her as well is forming a deeper connection with nature and us as parents realizing how important that is and implementing that as a regular part of our life. So, yeah. I think that's fantastic. And I think, I think very much like, you know, the animals on the farm, I think that children don't always have the societal conditioning. Right. They still they understand don't. how to hear their bodies. Yes. They still know how to listen. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I think is important to say here is I think we can all come back to that state yes. of being able to hear our bodies. But as adults, I think it often takes time to break down all of that social conditioning, to break down everything that we've learned about eight glasses of water a day right. or wear a coat, even if you don't feel like it, whatever that looks like. Yep. Or, and she's accessing that. Yep. And I, I just think that's so... I think it's great. And I, I love the way that she's played a role in your journey, that both kids have played a role in, Definitely. in your journey and yeah, just been little mirrors for Definitely. that process. Absolutely. And I'm also appreciative of you sharing some about your story with Alexis. I'm yeah. just really, that's a, it's a vulnerable space to be in and I really appreciate you. Thank you. Sharing. Well, thank you I for holding the space for that. I appreciate that because it's, like I said, it's something that I haven't really talked about very publicly, but more and more lately, I've been kind of getting this push that it's something that needs to be shared. You know, it's, it is a huge, huge part of my story, our story. And if I'm skipping over it, then it's not really the full picture of how I got here, you know? Yeah. And it's so crucial to share that and to share that with others so that they can connect in with that space and also feel less alone in yep. that space as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I love wrapping up by asking everybody the same question, which is what does it mean for you to lay the groundwork? And I always like to frame this with, you know, it can be just within your family unit or it can be for many generations down the road. Right. And I think that both are equally important. I love that question. I mean, I, I, I just truly feel like for me that it's just what we've been talking about this whole conversation is teaching people, you know, coming to that understanding myself and then sharing that with other people of how intelligent your body really is and continuing to pass that information on so that as a society, we're not always relying on the next supplement, the next diet, the next doctor guru, the next this, the next that, and the next flashy thing so that we get back to trusting our bodies and trusting our connection with the sun, with nature, with the earth, and, and really value that, you know, and pass that down to our children. I think that that's really laying the groundwork is, is continuing to spread that information and get it out to as many people as possible. I think that's beautiful. And I love that. And then where can people find you? We'll of course have notes to all of this in the show notes. Um, you have such a beautiful collection of webinars and informations that are super accessible. So tell people a little bit about where they can find you. Yeah. The best, easiest way is my Instagram page. It's at carnivore.yogi. And then if you go to that page, there's a link that'll take you to my website. It'll take you to all my courses if you go on YouTube and just search Carnivore Yogi on YouTube, you can go to my channel. 
that'll pull up tons of video library and have a podcast of free information. Yeah. Lots of amazing guests like Dr. Cruz and I have an audio only podcast. Oh yeah. Yes. And I have an audio only podcast as well called the carnivore yogi podcast that you could just search on Apple, Spotify, Google, and find it there too. So yeah, it's the best way. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just been amazing to connect here and really appreciative. Yeah. Thank you for holding space and, and having me. It's been a really awesome conversation. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Groundwork Podcast. If what you heard today resonated with you, may I ask that you share it with your friends or leave us a review? This helps others find Groundwork. If you're looking for more, you can find us at GroundworkCollective.com and at Groundwork Collective on Instagram. I would like to give a very special thank you to China and Seth Kent of the band All Right, All Right for clips from the beautiful song Over the Edge from their album, The Crucible. You can find them at All Right, All Right on Instagram and wherever you listen to music. <laughs>